Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you have acted in saving us. You sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins and defeated sin and defeated death. Lord, we thank you. God, we pray that um, this morning that you'd speak to us, that you'd stir our hearts and our affections. Lord, you know each and every one in this room. You know our thoughts. You know our feelings. You know our struggles, our fears, our anxieties, the things we wrestle with, the things that enslave us. There is nothing that you do not know about. You know everything. And Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, as we look at the Psalms, Lord, can you speak to us? Can you address our fears? Can you expose our idols? Can you help us uh, to lay ourselves at your mercy? And Lord, I, I pray that as we walk out of here, that we would feel the weight of our sins and our brokenness as we look to you, as we recognize that we need you to act and we can be joyful because we know that you have acted in Jesus. So come, Lord, and make yourself known and speak to us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning. It's good seeing all of you guys. Welcome uh, to Forest Park. If you're new here with us, we are excited that you've decided to worship with us. There's a card um, in the seat in front of you. If you can please fill that out, and all we want to do is just contact you and see how we can pray for you. A couple of announcements that I do have before we get into to the work. Uh, mark your calendars for August 22nd, so that's in two Sundays, uh, is our next member gathering at 6 o'clock in the evening. So if you are a covenant member, that's one of your responsibilities is to faithfully participate in these member gatherings. It's a time for us to come as a church to celebrate and reflect on what the Lord has done and then also even talk about the future and, and some of the things that we're anticipating that we're trusting the Lord. So please make sure you participate. Um, that's going to be the 22nd. And then mark your calendars for the 25th is one of our first core classes that we're teaching called The Christian Story. Uh, that's going to be on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock. I highly encourage you to participate if you're new to the faith or old in the faith no matter where you're from this will be a wonderful class uh, so you can read more about that in your um, bulletin and then register for the class online uh, for that but if you have your bibles uh, let's turn to psalm 51 so uh, psalm 51 uh, verse 1 so over the next uh, few weeks we're going to look at the psalms and, and then um, at the end of august god willing uh, beginning of september we're going to start our new series as we're going to walk through the gospel of john and so what i I want to do today is as we walk through uh, this psalm, uh, we're going to talk about it, and then we're also going to pray. We're going to pray through the psalms, and so I'm going to give you a little disclaimer. Um, I did bad time management. I thought I would be able to cram Psalm 51 in one Sunday, and this morning as I was going through my notes, I realized it was not going to happen, and then in the nine o'clock service, I knew it was not going to happen, and so we did not finish it, so we're not going to go through the whole, whole psalm. We're going to cover the first uh, seven verses and then I'll just figure out how to, how to use it next week as well. But just a little disclaimer. So let's look at Psalm 51. Now, before we look at this psalm, any psalm, it's helpful for us to know who wrote it and what was the conditions. Why did the author write it? And so Scripture is faithful to tell us in Psalm 51, right before verse 1, the, the little fine print, we find out that, that David wrote this psalm, uh, and it was written when Nathan confronted David of his sin with Bathsheba. 
Now, if you're not familiar with the story, you can read about the story in full details in 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, all the way through the end of chapter 12. And if you're not familiar, here's the cliff note version of the story, very brief, uh, that I want to tell you, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at Psalm uh, 51, verse 1. And so what was happening is in a time when kings would normally go off to war, uh, David decided, you know what, I'm old, I'm tired, I'm not going to fight, I'll send my men to go and fight for me, and I'll just kind of kick back and relax. And so he's bored, and he finds himself wandering through the palace, and one day his eyes caught a beautiful woman bathing on top of the roof, and because he is the king, and whatever he says goes, he asks the servants to go and get Bathsheba. And after committing adultery with Bathsheba, now he's trying to cover up his tracks because Bathsheba is pregnant. So the very first thing he tries to do is he calls Uriah, her husband that's actually off to war, call him to come back. He's trying to trick him to sleep with his wife so that everybody will kind of find out when Bathsheba has a baby, oh, it's Uriah's because obviously there's no DNA testing. However, Uriah was more of an upright man than David. He, he's looking at David and saying, like, how can I live in comfort and enjoy my, my wife while our men are out there protecting this nation and fighting war? I can't do that. And David realizes, I'm not going to be able to trick Uriah. So he sends Uriah back into battle with a little note for Joab. And Joab opens up this note, realizes what it says, and, and tells Joab, make sure that Uriah gets killed in battle and after Uriah ends up dying David thought problem solved I'll marry Bathsheba we'll have our child together no harm no foul wrong Nathan the prophet confronts David of his heinous sin and the consequences against the Lord and we really see how 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 David responded to Nathan this is what he said you are right for I have sinned against the Lord And so as we look at Psalm 51, this is David's personal lament. If you really want to know how he felt after committing this heinous sin, we read Psalm 51. It's a psalm of brokenness. And so in this personal lament, if you're taking notes, here's kind of an outline of Psalm 51. If you're taking notes, the very first thing is we see David's brokenness before the Lord. Like we see his brokenness before the Lord as he confesses his sin, as he pleads for the mercy and the grace of the Lord. And then we see the second one, if you're taking notes, not just his brokenness, but also his dependence on the Lord as he's pleading for the Lord to forgive him, to restore him, and to renew him, knowing that there's nothing he can do about it, but rather he needs the Lord to act on his behalf. And then at the end of the psalm, we see how David's praise and deeper commitment to the Lord as a result of the Lord's forgiveness, of the Lord renewing and restoring him, it leads to a deeper praise and commitment to the Lord. Now, this is important for us to understand. Like, this is not a prayer model of how to ask for forgiveness, okay? So it's not a secret formula. If you want your sins to be forgiven, pray this magic prayer. It's not about that. It really is a prayer of brokenness and dependence. And and my hope is is that you kind of feel that brokenness and dependence and see David's hope in Psalm 51. So so let's look at uh, verse 1 to 2. David says this, Be gracious to me, God, 
according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. So, so, in other words, we'll stop here. We, we see David is in desperate need of divine forgiveness. And David recognizes that he needs the Lord's forgiveness and there's nothing he can do to earn it. He needs the Lord's mercy and the Lord's grace and there's nothing he can do to earn it. But rather he's appealing to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you to show me mercy. I need you to show me forgiveness because of your character, because of your steadfast love and your abundant compassion. So in other words, in his pleading for mercy and grace, he's appealing to the Lord character I need you to extend mercy and grace to me because you are faithful in love you are abundantly compassionate so so he's not saying hey Lord I, I need you to forgive me because I asked for it or I need you to forgive me because I've really learned my lesson and I'll never do it again he's not saying Lord I need you to to forgive me because I I did not mean it. It was an accident. It was a one-time thing. I'll never do it again. Or he doesn't even say, you know, Lord, I need you to forgive me because it's your job to forgive me. That's just what you do. He is saying, no, I am in need of mercy and grace. And I need the Lord to act according to his character. And what does he reveal about the Lord's character? That the Lord is faithful in love and he is abundantly compassionate and because of David's sin he, he feels dirty that this is why he says blot out my rebellion completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin because of his sin he feels dirty he needs the Lord to wash him and cleanse him and this is not a dirt that you can just simply wash off with soap and water this is a dirt deep within that only the Lord can clean and so he's asking the Lord, like, cleanse me, wash me. Now, in the Old Testament, sacrifices and ritual washing symbolize the removal of sin and the restoration with the Lord. These sacrifices and ritual washings were not the reason why they were forgiven and why they were cleansed. Forgiveness and cleansing, renewal and restoration is an act by God determined by His mercy and His grace. The washing and the ritual washing and the sacrifices were only symbolism. It was only symbolic for the Lord to forgive. It was not the requirement for the Lord to forgive. And this is what David understood. He's not saying... Forgive me because I asked for it. Forgive me because I've washed my hands and I'll never do it again. He is saying, I need your mercy and grace because of your character. I need you to wash me because there's a dirt inside of me that I can't clean. So before we move on, let's pray this psalm. Let me ask you this before we pray this psalm. Like When you look at your life, and you see your sin, do you feel dirty? Do you, do you, do you feel the weight of it? Do you, do you see your need for the Lord to wash you and cleanse you? If so, then throw yourself at the mercy of God. Look, 
look at verse 1 to 2 and just in your own time and your own words read that verse 1 to 2 and just pray this in your life do it right now and then I'll close this in in, in prayer and then we'll move on read verse 1 to 2 pray this uh, in your life Holy Father, I recognize that I am dirty because of my sin. I need you to act. I need you to, to blot out my rebellion, to cleanse me and to wash me. I need you to show me mercy and grace. Not because I've asked for it, not because I've earned it or deserve it but because of your character, because you are faithful in love and you are abundantly compassionate. Can you wash me and cleanse me? In Jesus' name, amen. David continues in his confession and his brokenness. And you're thinking, I just love how these verses are building on top of each other. So he's he's already declared, I need the Lord to act. I need his mercy because of his character. I need him to take care of the dirt inside of me. Look at the staggering claim he makes in verse 3 to 4. He he says, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. And and so in David's pleading for forgiveness, he kind of opens up about his sinful heart. But here's something really interesting. Notice in verses 1 all the way through verses 3, notice the three words he uses that are synonymous to sin. Notice the three synonyms of sin. The second part of verse 1, it says, blot out my rebellion. And some of your translations, it says transgressions. And then he says in verse 2, completely wash away my, my guilt. When some of your translations, it says iniquity. And then he says, and cleanse me from my sin. And so he uses this rebellion, transgression, iniquity, guilt, and sin. And the reason why he's using all three words is not because each word have a distinct different definitions. There's certainly a lot of things in similar and they may be a little distinction, but not much. The reason he's using all three words is to express the seriousness of his actions and of his sin. He's not saying, you know, that was a mistake. That was a boo-boo. Shouldn't have done that. That was a tiny little sin. He's using every word that is available to express the seriousness and weight of it. And then David says in verse 3, he says, we see how he's fully aware of his sin before the Lord. He says, I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. I'm conscious of it. I can't deny it. It's right before me. It's not like something I can just take and sweep it under the rug or just chalk it up to an innocent mistake. It's before me. I feel the weight of it. But then look at verse 4. It's a staggering claim. He says, against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, Now think about this. How can this be true? 
If David committed adultery with Bathsheba, killed her husband, how can he say, against you and you alone have I sinned? Did he not sin against Bathsheba and defiling her and sinned against Bathsheba's husband Uriah and defiling his wife and then being responsible for his death and then sinning against Joab in a sense of, of having him participate in this death of Uriah and then sinning against the soldiers because he's supposed to fight with them and what does he do? He's running around with another man's woman and then sinning against the country because he's abusing his power. So how in the world can he say, Lord, I've sinned against you and you alone? And I think the reason why he can say it is because David understands that at the root of all sin is ultimately against the Lord. The rebellion against God was the root of his sin. And his crime that he injured people, who did these people belong to? The Lord. The social order that he violated by marriage that was instituted. Who was it instituted by? The Lord. So in a sense, every single action that is a violation towards anybody is ultimately a violation towards the Lord because everybody belongs to the Lord. Everything comes from the Lord. He is authoritative over everything. And so David understood this. That his sin was ultimately against the Lord. And in his confession of his sin, look at verse 4. The second part of verse 4. When you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Think about this statement here. What is he saying? David has already said, I need your mercy. My sin is before me. I feel the weight of it. There's no excuses. I have sinned against you. And whatever you decide, you are righteous and just. So other words, David's saying, in God's anger towards me, he's righteous and just. In God's judgment and punishment towards me by me living out these consequences... He is righteous and just. So in other words, as he's appealing to the Lord's mercy because of his sin against the Lord, he is saying, whatever the Lord declares for my life, he is righteous and just. If he extends mercy to me, he is righteous and just. If he destroys me, he is righteous and just. Like really what we see is a picture of genuine brokenness. Here's a picture of genuine brokenness. Read Psalm 51 verse 1 to 4. He is fully aware of his evil actions. He's fully aware that he has sinned against God. And he is fully willing to face any single punishment or consequences from the Lord and still declare the Lord to be righteous and just. In this beautiful picture of genuine brokenness, I don't know about you, but we can even see in our own, in a sense, false brokenness. Here's a picture of false brokenness in our sin. What do we normally sometimes do with our actions? We downplay our evil actions. Well, it just wasn't that big of a deal. I think you're kind of overreacting, aren't you? Or we make excuses for it. I just didn't mean to do it. 
It was an act. I was just thinking. Or for some of us that are a little bit more sophisticated, we know we can't make excuses for it. We know we can't downplay it. But what do we do? God, I've owned it. Why are you letting me face the consequences of it? God, why are you judging me for it? Did I not ask for forgiveness? And yet David, in his genuine brokenness, understood he has no stance before the Lord. Like regardless of what the Lord does, he is righteous and just. The consequences he's going to face, he's going to face it because of his actions. And no matter what the Lord does, whether he extends mercy or whether he punishes him, the Lord remains righteous and just. Like even think about your actions. Would you still affirm the Lord to be righteous and just when he severely punishes you for your sin? That's, that, that's a hard truth for us to, to really understand. We love the Lord to be merciful. He's righteous and just when he forgives us. But is he righteous and just when he punishes us? This is a sign of genuine brokenness. So, so let, let's pray this. Think about your life here. Are you broken by your sin? Like in, in other words, like, 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 like David, are you aware of your evil actions, your thoughts, your attitude? Uh, are you fully aware that in your thoughts and in your attitude and in your actions that all of your sin is ultimately against God? And are you willing to face whatever the Lord decides, whether mercy and grace or punishment? and even condemnation, does the Lord remain righteous and just? This is, I don't know if we're all going to run to pray these verses, but let's try our best. Read verses 3 to 4, and in your own words, pray these verses over your life, and then I'll close us again. Maybe for some, some of you, th this prayer might be a little different. Maybe for some of you, maybe this should be your prayer. Lord, help me to be conscious of my rebellion. Help me to feel the weight of my sin. And help me to be aware of my sin. Help me to, to realize that all, in all of my sin, I've ultimately sinned against you. And whatever you decide, whether I like it or not, that you are righteous and just and help me to be okay with it. Maybe that's the prayer for, 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 for some of you or maybe it might be looking a little different. Maybe for some of you are like, yes, Lord, I feel the weight of my sin. I know I've sinned against you, Lord, but I am really struggling in, in dealing with some of these consequences that I'm facing. Can you help me to endure and still look at you believing that you are just and righteous? And maybe for some it is almost like, yes, Lord, I feel the weight. I'm aware of it. It's against you. And I know I'm not worthy of anything. And whatever you decide... You remain righteous and just. I trust you. For you 
are a God that is faithful in love and abundantly compassionate. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Almost every verse I'm saying, man, look at this staggering claim. You're thinking, man, this guy's making some audacious claims here. Look at verse 5. Even more staggering claims. He says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Let's stop here. So in other words, as David is confronted by God's righteous verdict, he feels the weight of his brokenness. He needs the Lord to act. He's even like more deeply pricked by his own sinfulness. And in verse 5, his sinfulness, he's saying in verse 5 that my sinfulness was not a one and done. It's not like I made a mistake and all of a sudden it came out of nowhere. But look at the stunning claim he makes and the theological implications it has in verse 5. He says this, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. In other words, in this confession of depravity, he's like not making excuses. He's not playing the victim mentality. He's not saying, well, I was born like this. What do you expect? But rather what he is saying in this statement is kind of to show the severe distance between the Lord and himself. In other words, God is just. And God desires integrity and truth. But I am corrupt. I cannot walk in integrity. I cannot walk in truth. There is not a part of me that is innocent. I am corrupt through and through. And at what point did this corruption begin? Look at verse 5. At what point did this corruption begin? A conception. In other words, there was no point that I was innocent. What does he mean by that? He's saying man is sinful through and through. There is no point that man was innocent, that man was not corrupt after the fall. He's not saying that man can do no good, but he is saying that we've always been corrupt. And because we've always been corrupt, there is this giant chasm that cannot be bridged between us and the Lord. And this corruption passed on from the moment of conception, from generation to generation. Like, and I do think, like, this verse really has some theological implications. And, and I think as Christians, we've kind of wandered away from the theological implications of verse, verse 5 when it talks about depravity. Because here's what we can agree with the world. We can agree with the world that there is something wrong in this world. But here's where we disagree, and here's why we disagree. We will say with the world, yes, there's something wrong. But the world will say, but we're the solution to that something wrong. And you know why they say that? Because they believe that all of us were born innocent, precious. And because we were born innocent, and because we are born precious, and we knew nothing about wrong and right nor evil, we have turned one another evil. And if we knew innocence, guess what? We can become innocent again. But here's the Christian worldview. It says, no, 
There was not a point in our life that we've been innocent. We've always been corrupt. And if we've always been corrupt and there's never a point that we've been innocent, guess what? We're not the solution to the problem. We need a savior. And I know for some of you, this, this, this theology, this doctrine is hard to grasp and you don't want to believe it. But this is an important doctrine that we need to understand because as long as we forsake it, we're always going to look to ourselves for the answer. But the more we embrace it and realize, I'm not innocent. I've never been innocent. I've always been corrupt. There's something deep, dark inside of me that I can't take care of and I was born with it. I need someone to fix it. I need a savior. And this is also the reason why we see the need for the virgin birth. This, this, this theology even impacts the way we, we, we look at our children because what does this verse teaches us? What are our children? Innocent, good, and precious? They're certainly precious, but they're not innocent and they're not good because when did that corruption start? At the moment of conception. They were born guilty, born corrupt. So now how do we parent them knowing their problem? They don't need more discipline. They don't need more rules. What do they need? They need Jesus. They need a Savior. So what do we point them to? We point them to Jesus. And in their struggle with sin, we're not saying, hey, sweetie, you really just need to try harder. I know you can do it deep down within. No, it's like, hey, sweetie, your heart is broken, and you were born with a broken heart. This is why you need Jesus. Only Jesus can fix that heart. And this is what David is saying. Like, like, like think about this. He's, he's not making this an excuse. You know, I was born this way. I, I just, what did you expect? But rather he is saying, look at the distance between me and the Lord. Look at the reality of my heart. There's nothing I can do about it. The Lord demands, in verse 6, he says, The Lord, surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. In other words, he says, Because my heart is corrupt through and through, and you desire integrity of the inner self, you desire for me to obey your commands in truth and integrity. I can't do it. Because my heart is corrupt. There's no way I can walk into what you desire. Unless you teach me wisdom deep within. Unless somehow wisdom comes from above that impacts the deepest core of who I am. So what is David saying in a sense? I need an act from God. I need God to save me. I need wisdom. And the Bible uses wisdom and knowledge sometimes interchangeably, and it defines wisdom and knowledge as what? The fear of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I am born not fearing the Lord, rebellious against the Lord. And yet the Lord demands for me to walk in integrity and truth to fear him. There's no way I can do it unless the Lord somehow from above acts and opens up my eyes and take this corruption of my heart and give me a new heart that impacts every area of my life. And what's going to build in verse 7, and that's where we're going to stop for today, he's almost saying, I need the Lord to act to cleanse me and to make me new. So, so let's stop and pray this, this prayer. But, but here's a question for you to consider. 
you know the right answer, okay? But I want you to be honest in, in this question because it really does impact the way you look at the Lord and your attitude towards sin. But do you see yourself as innocent, pure, and good that makes mistakes? Or do you see yourself corrupt through and through? Again, you know the answer. But if you look in the mirror and you're honest, how do you see yourself? And the way you see yourself really changes everything. Do you see your inability to respond to the Lord's commands in truth and integrity? Do you see yourself needing wisdom from above, the fear of the Lord? With those questions in mind, go ahead and and pray verses uh, 5 to 6 in your own words. Read it and, and just pray it in your own words, and then I'll close this in prayer again. Lord, there was not a moment in my life that I've been innocent and good. I've always been corrupt. And it has impacted every area of my life. And I know your standard and your demands to walk in integrity and truth. And because of my condition, there's no way I can live up to that standard. And Lord, I'm not making any excuses. This is just the reality. And the only way for me to walk in integrity and truth is that if you act and give me wisdom from above that changes the core of who I am. I need you to change me and to transform me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll look at verse 7 and then we'll wrap it up. David goes and prays for renewal. So with everything that we said, here's what he's, what he's asking the Lord. He says this, Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. So in other words, if you're, you're taking notes, this, this is what David is praying. David is praying for God's cleansing. He says, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Now, now what in the world does he mean by that? He is asking the Lord to almost act like a priest, to declare him clean from his defilement. So in the Old Testament, when you had a skin disease, a nasty rash or leprosy, or you touched anything unclean, you were kicked out of the camp. You had to quarantine outside the camp, not in your house, outside the camp, okay, in the desert where where everything dies. And you had to wait for a certain period of time and trust that this defilement will go away. And then after a certain period, let's say seven days after your quarantine and and, and social uh, 
isolation. You would go back before the priest, and the priest would look you over. And then symbolically, he would take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in water and sprinkle you. And by sprinkling you, he would, in a sense, declare you to be clean. Now, let me give you the connection here. You're, you're kind of seeing where I'm going here. In the Old Testament, what did the person have to do in order to become clean technically? There's nothing he could do. All he can do is sit and wait and hope that his defilement and his uncleanness would go away and that when he w walks before the priest, that somehow the priest would declare him clean by what he sees. What's David doing? That's what David is saying. I need you to somehow remove my defilement and declare me to be clean. And then he uses this, this, this second uh, uh, metaphor, a metaphor we're all familiar with. He, he says this, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. In other words, this, this whiter than snow is this metaphor of I need newness of life. Now, you know you cannot take something that has been defiled and dirty and almost make it perfect. You, you can't. Like if you use the toughest grease cleaner and you scrub it and you wax it and you polish it, if you put a microscope under it, what, is, what do you see? all the scratches and all the, de the defilement of it. And what David is asking is almost impossible. He is saying, by washing me whiter than snow is make me so clean like I am brand new. Give me a new life. So, so in other words, what, what's David saying? David is saying, God, I need you to act. I need you to declare me to be clean and I need you to make me brand new. Now from David's perspective, before Jesus, he knows what he needs from the Lord, but he has no idea how the Lord is, not, is going to do it. All he can think of is, I need the Lord to declare me clean and to make me new. So what is he displaying here in his request? Faith. Trusting, this is what I need the Lord to do. I have no idea how the Lord is going to do it but I am trusting that somehow because of the Lord, because he is merciful, gracious, he is abundantly faithful, loving, and compassionate. Somehow he is going to make a way to declare me clean and give me new life. So in other words, he was in faith looking for God to act and somehow provide a savior. So in his request, he is basically saying, I need a Savior to come and act on my behalf to declare me clean and to make me new. And who is that Savior? Jesus. Fast forward thousands of years later, and we know the end of the story. What did Jesus do on the cross? When he took our sins, he faced our penalty. He faced the wrath of God paid for it in full so that we can be what? We can be declared righteous, or another way of saying it is declared clean and may, may have been made brand new. 
I just love how the Lord's salvation has always been by grace. That's what David is appealing for. And somehow the work of God that has acted through Christ and all of it has been made available through faith. This is what he's pleading for the Lord. I need you. I can't declare myself clean. No matter how many hyssops and, and animals I sacrifice, I will not be clean. No matter how much I scrub myself and I use the, the biggest camp, I can't be clean. I need you to act and do this. And so I want us to, to, to pray this for, for ourselves. Do you need the Lord to act in your sinfulness to declare you clean? Do you need the Lord to, to give you new life and to wash you as white as snow? Why don't you pray verse, verse 7 in your life, and then I'll close us, and then we'll sit at the table. Our Heavenly Father, be gracious to us according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Take our rebellion, our iniquity, and wash us. Help us to feel the weight of our sins and be conscious of it as it's ultimately against you. And regardless of what happens to us, you remain righteous and just. For there was never a moment that we have not sinned. We've always been guilty before you. We've always been corrupt. And there is nothing that we can do to be renewed and restored. So Lord, can you act on our behalf and save us where you declare us righteous and you give us new life. And Lord, we thank you that as we read Psalm 51 and pray it in our lives, we look to the cross where we see what David was asking for. Lord Jesus, you fulfilled. Help us to look to the cross and realize in our sin and in our brokenness, we're not defeated. But that is where God has acted to save us. And that in faith, you've made it available where we can be declared righteous, where we can receive a new life. And help us to consider the reality of it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As we get to sit at the table, th th this, this table kind of reminds us of what David was asking for. Now, next week, we're going to find out David had really no assurance that that's how the Lord is going to act. But we do have that assurance because Jesus has already acted and we have the Holy Spirit. But we can't see the Holy Spirit. And what this table really does, it is a object lesson. It's a visual presentation. The reason why we know God has acted and God has acted to declare us clean and to make us new, because this table is not empty. 
there are two elements on this table. The one represents his body that was broken for us, and the other one represents his blood that was shed for us. So when we pray the prayer that David prayed, we can pray it in confidence and full assurance, knowing that our Lord has acted, that his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, and because what he has done, and we responding in faith, looking to him, he declares us clean. He makes us new. So for the Christian, sometimes we don't like talking about sin and we really feel like, you know, like it kind of is demoralizing and it discourages us. But actually the opposite is true. Because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be discouraged by our sin. We can openly, freely confess our sin. We can feel the weight of our brokenness. Why? Because as we look to Christ, we know he's already acted. This is why for the Christian, we should be quick to confess our sins. We should not hide from our sin in guilt and shame. Because we can in confidence ask the Lord to cleanse us and to wash us, knowing he already has in Jesus Christ. And so as we hand out these elements, uh, one of the first things I want you to do is, as you've kind of prayed some of these prayers, and, and here's the, the, the kind of, not a trap or a trick, but if you prayed those prayers and didn't mean it, like you've sinned, uh, and maybe that was a bad thing, I set you up to sin, and the Lord knows it. And so you can ask the Lord to, to help you mean it. I need you to cleanse me, help me feel the weight of it. But then you can also do it in an encouraging way, knowing that the Lord has already acted. You're not wishing, you're not hoping he has done it as you're looking to him, as you're trusting him. So this morning, I want you to be reminded of how Christ has acted for you. And I want you to be able to freely confess your sins and not be ashamed of it as you feel the weight of it and looking to Christ who has cleansed you and has made you new. And this table forces us to act in faith because there's nothing we can do to deserve it. And so even as we approach this table, we are remembering and celebrating in faith and we're looking to Christ and pleading to Christ in faith as we're both look from whatever angle we look to him. So let me pray for us. We'll distribute the elements as you remember and as you confess. Only Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you for how you've acted, how you have uh, acted in Christ to declare us clean and to make us new. And Lord, I pray for the people here. I pray for, for the people that you would help uh, some of them to remember, help them to feel the weight and help them to look to you. And for those that are discouraged by their sins and they feel like they're just one big failure, Lord, help them to look to you knowing that you've acted and that you've declared them clean and you've given them new life and help them to act on the way you have acted. To look to you, to walk in this newness of life. So come, Lord, and speak to us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just amazed and kind of overwhelmed that what David longed for, we get to experience. 
And, and I think we just take it for granted. I don't think we realize how spoiled we are. That in the core of David, he's longing for it. And here we get to, 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 to pick up these elements and say, yes, the Lord has declared us clean. Yes, he has made us new. And I hope we never take that for granted. That in our struggle against sin, that we look to King Jesus and we're reminded how he has acted on our behalf and we didn't do anything to deserve it. As he took our sins upon himself, the guilt, the shame, the punishment, and with us not deserving any of it, he has acted on our behalf. As we look to him, he declares us clean and he makes us new and how do we know it because of this table it represents the cross of christ as we pick up the bread we are reminded of his body that was broken for us and we eat it in remembrance of him take it and eat it of this cup we're reminded of his blood that was shed for us that washes us as white as snow, that makes us new, the new covenant we have in him, and we drink it in remembrance of him. Take it and drink it. Lord, I thank you that you have acted on our behalf, that in our brokenness and in our rebellion, you did not give us what we deserved, but instead you've acted in your son, Jesus Christ, where you took our sins, our guilt, our shame, our punishment upon yourself, and you paid for it in full. And there's nothing we can add to it there's nothing we can do to receive it. All of it has been made available through faith. And so all we can do is just look to you, trusting and believing that what you've done, Lord Jesus, is sufficient. That when we stand in front of God, it's because of Jesus that we've been declared clean and that we've been made new. It has nothing to do with our performance. So Lord, help us to constantly in faith look to you to trust in you. And even in our battle against sin, help us to look to you, trust to you. Help us never take for granted what you've done for us and accomplished for us. May we feel our brokenness and see it as a good thing as we look to you and it forces us to depend on you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and let us worship our Savior.